Let's pray. Oh God, our home and our help, we come before you today, Lord, and um, bring ourselves, God, just as we are and as fully as we can. We pray, Lord, um, will you meet us here this morning? Will you transform us by your word, God, and by the power of your spirit today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know one of the things that I um, respect about God, particularly after reading this, being in 1 Kings 18 this week? Um, God's response to us is never half-hearted. God's response to his people is never half-hearted. God is characteristically, I think, particularly in these Old Testament texts that we've been going through, he is characteristically direct and clear and honest and assertive, sometimes responding to his people in ways that we completely do not understand and responding to circumstances in ways we do not understand. But never do I find God's response half-hearted. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said for God's people. I think we've also seen this throughout these Old Testament texts. Um, and that's precisely the problem here in 1 Kings 18, um, which we heard partially heard the story this morning. And I want you to listen again to verse 21, where the prophet Elijah addresses the people of Israel, and promptly he just cuts to the chase. He shows up to King Ahab, and then he gathers all the people, and then he tells them. These are the first words out of his mouth, which I also want you to listen to as words like from God to his people, because I think this is also like Elijah's speaking here for God. And he says this, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. <laughs> and I appreciate the clarity of this question. And it's not even like, what are you doing? Why are you being like that? It's just like, how long? Like, how long are you going to go limping along like this? It's time to make up your mind. So they're on the fence. Like, who do, we, who do we worship and follow? Maybe God, maybe Baal, maybe both. Um, the people's allegiance is clearly split. They've become half-hearted. They've become half-hearted, at best, I think, toward God, which we can hear in their response to Elijah in, at the end of verse 21. Oh, you don't hear anything? That's because they didn't say anything. The people said nothing. How long are you going to go limping along? Crickets. Nothing. Silence. Professor of Old Testament Michael Chan writes, the people's unwillingness to choose is exemplified by their lack of response. Like the question is put to them and they're like unwilling to choose and that's obvious due to their silence on the matter. Not only that, but the word limping also clues us in that at least from Elijah's perspective, their unwillingness to choose between Baal or Yahweh actually is resulting in self-inflicted injury. Their unwillingness, are you with me hearing this? So the people's indecision and half-heartedness, half-hearted attention to God and to their spiritual life together is causing them harm. They, it's causing them harm to themselves. 
they've slowed to a self-inflicted limp on their spiritual journey. So let's pause there for a moment. Makes me wonder how often we get tripped up in our relationship with God because of our own half-hearted response and lingering indecision. Ever been there? Well, I have. Um, In her commentary on the rule of Benedict, Joan Chittister writes this, and I think... I think it gets to this, you know, this kind of place. She says, life is very short. To get the most out of it, we must begin to attend to its spiritual dimensions, without which life is only half-lived. The spiritual life demands all of us. Daily, we choose. If the Lord is God, today, follow him. And sometimes our response to God, our tending to the spiritual dimension of our life, is half-hearted at best. Sometimes, consciously or unconsciously, like the Israelites, we actually remain completely silent on the subject. Elijah and dear Joan urge us to wake up to the choice before us. The choice that we have to give full loyalty to God, the choice to walk with him with eyes and hearts wide open to the seen and to the unseen. And they tell us that this choice demands our whole selves. It demands our whole selves. It's not a half-hearted place. (laughs) It's not a lingering place of indecision. It's really like a yes or a no kind of place. I'm going to give myself fully to God today. Or am I going to hold Am I going to hold back? I'm not seeing a lot of maybes here in the response that God is calling, calling forth from his people. And we can make that choice, that response to God, on purpose, with ears and hearts open, not dependent on our own power or determination to carry us through. So I'm, not, I'm also not saying that, that we just got to like try a little harder to choose God fully or something like that. Um, but with trust and faith and dependence upon the Spirit of God who is active within us. We say yes, we say yes fully and as best we can with faith that the Spirit of God will equip us to live out, gracefully like live out that yes to God. And so in this, we choose to do engage and do regular spiritual practices and rhythms as individuals and as a community of faith. Abbey Way is very much built on these practices and shared rhythms that help us to see and to ask, to listen and respond to God and to others. We choose to be known by God and by others. We choose connection over shame and hiding. We choose vulnerability and honesty over people-pleasing. We choose generosity over fearful scarcity. Half-hearted and indecisive is not the way we've chosen. And the way as like capital W way. Half-hearted and indecisive is not the way we've chosen, nor is it the way that has chosen us. For God is never half-hearted in his response to us. God responds to us and chooses us wholeheartedly. So, let's pick up our story here in 1 Kings 18, because it's an epic. We now move on to the battle of the gods. 
That sounds good. So tell your, tell your kids this one again tonight, if you have them. Um, so I'll tell Jacob again tonight. Battle of the gods. So here we are. 400 profits of Baal, maybe 450. Was it 450? Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Uh, 450 prophets of Baal and the prophet Elijah each are preparing an altar with a bull as a sacrifice on top of it. Now, neither are to set fire to the wood. No fire. And in fact, they're in a drought. So, um, well, I guess that probably leads to more, more likelihood of fire. Anyway, no fire. Keep the dried brush away. We don't want any sparks over here. So first, the prophets of Baal um, have their altar and their sacrifice prepared, and they call on their god, on Baal, from morning to noon to answer by fire. From morning to noon, they call on their god. But, verse 26 says, there was no response. No one answered. So Elijah, I like him, he taunts them a little bit, you know? Shout louder. Maybe you just need to shout a little louder. Perhaps he's in deep in thought or busy. Maybe he's on a trip. He's just traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So, and this is funny because this is like these other prophets, they're all worked up now because they actually shout louder. <laughs> you know? <laughs> They're like, okay, yeah, well, yeah, we're going to shout louder. And so they shout louder and frantically try harder, like frantically, and injure themselves in the process, and it just gets wild and crazy. Frantically, they're trying harder. In verse 29, but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. If it could not be more clear, no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah calls the people of Israel to him, because they are all standing as spectators at this point to the 450 prophets of Baal and to singular Elijah. So Elijah calls the people to him, and he begins to repair the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down there. So this is how far the people and King Ahab had gone astray. Even the altar to the Lord was in disrepair. So he begins to repair the altar, taking 12 stones which had been torn down, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and he puts them back into place, tangibly marking and remembering what God had done in the past in the formation of his people. In the formation of his people, Israel. Like, he even marks like how they got their namesake. This is who you are. And this is the God of promise and the God upon whose name we call so he's, he builds the altar, he restores the altar, then he digs a trench. Prophets, they're not lazy, you know? He's working hard. He dug, digs a trench all around, he arranged the wood, he cut the bull into pieces, which I imagine is a laborious and messy job. So he prepares that on top of the altar, and then he instructs the people to fill four large drugs with water and to pour them over the whole thing. So one, two, three, four, they do that, they pour it again, he says. So they fill four more jugs of water and pour it over the whole sacrifice and the altar. And then a third time, again, he says, fill those four jugs, pour them over the water, over the bowl, and over the altar. This he instructed the people three times until the water ran down the altar 
and even filled the trench that he had dug around the altar. And in verse 36 through 39, says this, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. And this is what he prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God's response to his people is never half-hearted. He answers with fire. He wholeheartedly calls them back to himself. This God is not busy. This God is not busy. Or deep in thought, or traveling somewhere, taking a snooze. This is the God who listens and responds to his people, who sees the state that they're in, who sees the altar in disrepair, who sees them being led astray by the king and his crazy wife, Jezebel, and he calls them back wholeheartedly to himself. And this is the same God who calls back to us wholeheartedly, redirects us wholeheartedly, redeems us wholeheartedly, leads us cautions us. I started thinking of like all of the things you could put like God blanks us wholeheartedly. And my list got really long. Leads us, he cautions us, he sends us. God forgives us wholeheartedly. He never is coming just like halfway to meet us. Even in the even in the ways that God disciplines us or recorrects us, he's coming at it wholeheartedly. Like if you're a parent, You're not, it doesn't work very well, I imagine, to discipline your child half-heartedly. You know, you got to bring your whole self to that. Your whole good, like, non-anxious presence. (laughs) You know, the whole, your whole self. And I just imagine God brings his whole self to us. Again and again, he forgives us and he feeds us wholeheartedly. He clothes us wholeheartedly, embraces us, tells us the truth defends us, transforms us, loves us, chooses us. God chooses us wholeheartedly. He chooses us wholeheartedly day after day after day. And church, may our hearts today declare, this God, this is our God. This God, this is our God. Hallelujah. Amen.